You're listening to Superstition. Season 2, Episode 3, Chronological Order. Part 3, Wildland Fire. I'm not great at giving people reasons. It's a lot easier to shrug them off into something else. Excuses or obfuscation. Frankly, I'm not really used to people asking. Not seriously. Not without using it to hurt me back later. It's why I like stories so much, I think. I got good at telling them because of the looks on people's faces. Oh, they were abducted by aliens. Only gets you so far. Yeah, my parents were the victims of a brutal murderer in suburban Pennsylvania in the 90s. That gets you a lot of sympathy drinks. Hearing somebody else's story is easier than telling my own. But Isabella's asking. So, I'm trying to work on that. Why is this so important to you? You've dug through decades of old history. Half of these people are dead and the other half don't think what they saw was real. It might be better off that way. Safer. You don't get it. That's why I'm asking. Because... My older brother, Daniel, basically the only blood relative I've got left that I care about much, he's coming here in a couple of days so we can decide what to do with my dad's body. I have to find something real to show him. A solid lead. The thing I've really liked about meeting you, Izzy, is that I don't have to justify myself to you. You don't really ask those kinds of questions. And it it doesn't seem like you worry about proving anything to anyone. If that's true, I'm just doing a great job of hiding it. Everybody else could think I was a few fries short of a Happy Meal if my brother was on my side, you know? I looked up to him. We've always been different, but I did anyway. I want to tell myself that if he'd understood me, nobody else would have mattered. Letting one person understand you isn't going to fix anything. Sometimes it just creates more problems. Maybe. You got one more story for tonight, then? Yeah. You want to hear it? Rooted in the red earth of the Arizona desert, nestled among the saguaro and the sagebrush, under a sky so big, so blue, it's almost suffocating, is a town. When you enter the town, there is a sign that conjectures. Welcome to Superstition, where anything can happen. Like most things, like most people, like the town itself, this sign is not entirely honest. Should you remain in superstition, should you prove to be quick and curious and attentive, 
and should you prove to be very lucky, or perhaps extraordinarily unlucky, depending on how much you value the casual, comforting fraudulence of everyday life, you will soon learn the lurking cardinal truth beneath it all. Because here, in Superstition, Arizona, under rolling dust clouds and whispered from between cracked lips, is a truth. Welcome to Superstition, where anything often does happen. My name is Artemisia Smith, witch, and I am often considered one of these things. Uh, happening. Artemisia Smith, clairvoyant, shapeshifter. Some of these are truer than others. But as is the way of codification, once something is believed, the truth of what it might once have been falls second to what it becomes. But this is not a book about me, though what a supremely interesting tome that would be. The book you are holding is an attempt at documentation of some of the strange occurrences in the town of Superstition. It is yet to be revealed how the town itself will react to it. <laughs> I suspect not well. It is the way of things that towns, like any beating, breathing thing, are resistant to being defined, being restricted. Because isn't that what record-keeping is? An attempt at restraint? At forcing simplicity and quelling a vacillation? At pinning the butterfly to the wall? Let's talk about superstition. Or rather, at least at this beginning, let's talk about one particular family and the brand of oddness that trickles through their bloodstream. Are you familiar with the Malays? Don't fret if you're not, you'll meet them soon enough. I have a way of knowing these things. Kate and Jenny Malay were like other children. With their roughed up knees, their selfish impulses, and their untempered emotions. Kate and Jenny Malay could also see things. Superstition is like a citrus fruit, a ripe orange. Sections of it clearly demarcated and quartered off from the rest. Not one spilling into its neighbor, but loosely gripping onto each other by the thinnest of fibers and cupped by its rind. Kate and Jenny Malay could see through the fibers, could see every hand that pressed itself against the rind, that dug its nails into its skin before ripping it back. Kate and Jenny Malay could see intentions, could see tensing muscles, recognize dark determination in a set of eyes, 
could feel upset, an entitlement waft off a man's shoulders like heat off asphalt. In this way, Kate and Jenny Malay were perfectly normal girls. If ever there were such a thing, Kate and Jenny Malay also knew things. When playing hide-and-seek, Jenny would always uncover her eyes, blink around in the light, and then march, precisely and immediately, sure as a compass, to where Kate had stowed herself away. Not long ago, Kate began seeing shapes in the skies over the desert, vaguely humanoid. She calls them angels. She's not wrong, exactly. It's not that that's what they are, or what they aren't, even. It's just possible to be many things at once. Once Kate and Jenny were playing, and in one of those moments of childlike feral glee, she shrieked, and in that outburst I witnessed her entire life. I saw the possibilities flow out of her mouth like water, was able to trace the river of her lifespan as it split into smaller and smaller tributaries. Different outcomes, different possibilities hidden in the spaces between her laughter. In tracing this river back to its source, I was able to find her mother. Because, after all, isn't every story about a little girl also about her mother? Just a little bit? Like how a tree isn't just its bark, or its leaves, but... The rings you find when you cut it open. The roots it drills through the soil. The worms eating at those roots. Linda Malay is not like her daughters, who believe in weirdness. She once was, but as she grew from child to adult, that faith was pruned from her by the world. Not faith in some sort of higher power or in the unexplainable oddities of the world. No. Faith in herself. Faith that despite how unbelievable something might appear to be, that her own senses and wit were credible. I watched her explain away ghosts and mysteries and men. Linda Malay never interrogated how she knew which roads to avoid driving down at night, or why they would rotate every few days. Linda's mother, Bonnie Malay, spent much of her life tending to her husband, Eugene, learning how to feel from an entire house away when his temper turned up the heat of a room. The town loves to remember how he came back from the dead. No one remembers the times Bonnie never died to begin with. Generations of women learning to ignore the itch between their shoulder blades, to sew the wolf's sheepskin with their own two hands. <laughs>
when the Superstition Mountains caught fire in 2006, little Kate Millay saw it coming. When the children in her class were sharing the sacred art of paper fortune teller crafting, she saw in the shifting paper, hidden amongst the one, two, three, the B-L-U-E, the you will kiss your crush soon. She saw cindering wood and scorched earth and black smoke flooding the sky. But of course, she ignored it. Plucked the name of the nearest boy out of the air and said she saw she'd marry him one day. At recess's end, she crushed the paper in her hands, tried to destroy what she'd read in it. Of course, it came anyway. Have you ever seen a night sky so crimson it made the earth look gray? The superstitions burned so bright, so hot, it was like the sun had stubbornly refused to finish setting. Suffering without reason. That night, the crawling things that lived on the mountains fled. The coyotes, snakes and lizards, the javelinas and raccoons, the hawks and wrens too. Panic clutched all beasts in its clutches, chased them from their dens and into the surrounding wilderness. Even those one might think above such mortal concerns as survival. The spirits themselves fled the flames as they hungrily swallowed the mountains. They flooded through the town, around buildings and cars sliding in through gates left ajar and cracked open windows. On the floor of my home, they swirled and pooled like water, like black smoke that had crawled and clawed its way down from the mountain. They tangled at my feet, shrieking and chittering like canyon birds. I could tell you some of the mundanities of the magic of that night, of ginger root under my tongue, of Joshua tree bark burning in my hands until the ashes darkened my palms, of bells jingling faintly throughout the house. <laughs> but you aren't interested in all that. Instead, I'll tell you about the shape I saw in the mirror and that, in turn, saw me. Have you ever given thought to what it must be like to be an insect? To be so small that you can only view the world by cleaving it into segments? Here, a leaf's vein. Here, a grain of dirt. Here, a shift in the wind. Here, a shadow falling over you. Here, a hand on your shell. Here, an eye watching your legs as they are rent from your body. 
here a magnifying glass collecting sunlight, here you being roasted alive. <laughs> the mirror shattered. I wonder, in situations like this, who does the blame fall on? It's not like I was the one who wrecked it all. Bad luck, right? That's what they say about broken mirrors, isn't it? Somehow, it feels like we're well beyond that. As I knelt to clean up the shards, the images contained within began to coil, to ripple and pulse to reform into something else. A cycle repeated, time looping back on itself. Kate and Jenny stepping into the same shoes as their mother, and her mother's mother before her endlessly. Jenny holding a missing persons flyer. Kate stumbling and grasping at ragged walls. Kate alone in the dark. In the undulating images, I also saw a woman I once knew. Or thought I did. Or <laughs> knew a bit too well, perhaps. I sighed. And then hissed as my hand tightened around a mere fragment. A rare moment of reflux, I was sure I'd stamped out. As I split myself open, I watched as the blood dripped down my palms, an unnaturally concentrated trickle that was quickly swallowed into the glass. I watched, curious, as the shapes twitched and spasmed and reshaped. The woman's face began to turn, to look over her shoulder at something, and as it did, her skin shifted and swirled and settled into a face I was unfamiliar with. Though as I studied her, I had a suspicion. Something in the curl of her hair, the shape of her nose, the way the corners of her mouth carved lines into her cheeks when she scowled, or, or smiled. And just like that, the images in the mirror faded. The ghosts swirling around me dissolved into the floorboards, back out through the windows, into the who knows where. And I was alone. So I grabbed a broom. Well, that was interesting, but 
It was really it either. It wasn't the answer. It has to be somewhere in all of this. Do you have those kinds of secrets that you just don't tell anyone? Sure. Ever? I mean, loads. I've done a lot of dumb shit. Harmful shit, sometimes. Uh, I don't mean like that. I mean the kind that could change everything. Sure. Maybe I've got one like that. What does that mean? I can't tell you. Can't or won't? Neither. I... All I can tell you is that it doesn't have anything to do with what you're looking for. As for the rest, you're just gonna have to trust me. Look, maybe whatever we're doing, you and me, it doesn't mean that you have to tell me the whole whatever it is. Whatever we're doing? You and me? Well, you don't seem to be in a rush to define it. It's not something I really do. Well, me neither. I'm historically pretty bad at it. Pretty good at cutting and running. You've said that. I wanted to. A minute ago. It's a gut reaction. But, gotta practice my apologies somehow. Well, you're pretty cute when you're mad, so no need. All I'm saying is, you know, you don't have to. Whatever this is, being involved with each other doesn't mean we have to know everything about each other. Life's not cut and dry like that. But if you wanted to, you could. Have to and could are different things. I'll think about it. Just like you could come back to my place. You know, <laughs> if you wanted to. I have to think about that one, too. Okay. Wait a minute. I think I found something. Look look at this. I... You think it can wait until the morning? I thought you were thinking about it. Did. Decided. You coming? Yeah, I am. Thank you for listening to Superstition. This episode features Kira Apple as Jack, Jory Taylor as Izzy, and Lucille Valentine as Artemisia. The short story in this episode was written by Lucille Valentine. It was edited by Sarah Cole. We hope you enjoyed this series of stories in this three-part episode, and we'll be back in two weeks, right around Valentine's Day, for a story about morticians, dead parents, and older brothers. As always, thank you for listening.